0: I always try to steer people towards, you know, you you know learning how to plug tires, learning how to use a shovel to get your your truck unstuck, getting your jack underneath it so you can lift it up if it's if it's sort of bottomed out on things and build up a new road so your tires have something to go on.
1: I think even just understanding how your vehicle works, you'd be surprised how many people, you know, they jump to winching but they don't understand what a locker does or exactly how four-wheel drive works.
2: That was Tim and Kelsey Huber, otherwise known as Dirt Sunrise. And this is Episode 2 of the Gaia GPS Off-Road Podcast. I'm Wade, your host. In this episode, we're talking with Tim and Kelsey about being prepared for whatever the trail throws at you. But first, just for our podcast listeners, check out this great deal from Trails Off-Road.
3: Whether your style of off-roading is rock crawling, overlanding, or even soft-roading, Trails Off-Road has thousands of detailed trail guides for you. Their unique trail rating system helps you find the right level of difficulty for your adventure. From mild to wild, you can know before you go with Trails Off-Road. And right now, Trails Off-Road is offering a special discount for Gaia GPS Off-Road podcast listeners. Just go to TrailsOffRoad.com podcast for this great deal. Remember, know before you go with Trails Off-Road.
2: Tim and Kelsey have just completed an epic multi-year adventure on the southern portion of the famed Pan American Highway. That's right, as far south as you can drive in the Americas, Tierra del Fuego. Tim and Kelsey know all about being prepared out on the trail. They often teach advanced off-road driving skills at many of the off-road and overland gatherings. Today, they're gonna enlighten us about some of the challenges they face while traveling abroad ways to stay safe out on the trail no matter where you are, and how they got their name Dirt Sunrise. Before we dive into this, there's one question I've always wanted to ask you too: How did the name Dirt Sunrise come about?
0: Do you want the honest answer?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, you can give me both if you want.
0: All right, all right. well, here's, the, I'll give you the fake one first. We, we kind of made it up after the fact, but, but really, uh, it was one of those things that, that when we were working normal office jobs and we'd head out to go exploring, camping, whatever method we were going out into nature, it wasn't until that first sunrise that you really felt like the trip had started. That day when you left town was still stress, was still traffic on a freeway. And then when your feet are in the dirt and you wake up, that sunrise is when it's real. And so that that's really what I thought of it as. And it's also just because when you put those two words together, nobody else comes <laughs> up. And so, you know, we, we went through all these different names and you were like, I like that. But, oh, yeah, but that also sounds like this or it brings up that. And so it was just those two words together were unique. And then the more I cu- kept thinking about it, I, yeah, I, just, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I just really liked it. And we want it to be simple. We're, we're pretty simple. And we like... Being out in the dirt—that's kind of the one common denominator. But we didn't want to focus in on any certain type of travel or fun.
2: You guys just got back from completing the southern half of the Pan American Highway. That's an epic trip of a lifetime for most of us. Can you share some of the highlights from that trip with us?
0: Uh, yeah, we uh, we basically decided after all these years of training, are we going to go and do it ourselves? We do a lot of <laughs> camping, a lot of mountain biking, all this fun stuff, but. We didn't do any big trips and we were training these people to go out and do it. And so finally we decided we need to do this. Uh, There's never going to be a right time. There's never going to be enough money saved where you feel confident or secure. So we decided a year out, saving big time, prepping the truck, and we're leaving. And so we quit our jobs, rented out our house, sold almost everything that we owned except for a storage unit that that looked like stuff, (laughs) looked like too much by the time we got home. But we tried to downsize as much as possible. And then we headed off into Mexico. And so we, we went down through Baja, uh, basically headed over into mainland Mexico, the rest of Central America, shipped over to, to Colombia and mm-hmm. continued down through South America, zigging and zagging from side to side over to Brazil, then back to Chile and then
1: back over to Argentina. Yeah, so, the goal was never to have uh, too much planning, uh, just yeah. kind of go where we wanted to go and, and see what sounded interesting. And if we wanted to stay in a place longer, we would. So uh, we just our goal was to wander.
0: Yeah, I think we planned like two days out, and so we we would go. I'd like to get over to this general area, or in a month and a half, family's going to fly into this town. And we have to be there, and that seemed like whoa, so much structure a month. Yeah, <laughs> so we, but that was the goal was to just actually live as we would. If a local said there was a great waterfall, go to it. Um, we did kind of try to avoid the tourist spots, but there were so many we wanted to hit, like Machu Picchu, that we did a lot of those. But the goal was to do stuff and see things that we hadn't seen online, we hadn't seen a photo of just go down a road and see what was there. So it was a lot of, a lot of driving down random roads and just trying to see what was there. And, you know, it was hit and miss, you'd have the best campsite of the whole trip. And, um, it was great because you felt like you discovered it. And then sometimes you turned around a lot and had a lot of dead ends, but that was, that was the goal is to make it Different and mm-hmm. unique, and uh, and in
1: the end, we did make it down to the tip of South America. Yeah,
0: And we made it down to Ushuaia, and then out a little service road a little further than that, and uh, thought it was a great idea with looking out at the <laughs> at Antarctica to, to uh, take off our clothes and jump in the water, and that was that was the wasn't really the end of the trip, but that was the furthest celebration point. of that getting celebration, there. That was the celebration, yeah. And then we uh, turned around and headed north on the Carretera Austral, and uh, right about as we hit Uruguay and Brazil. We were considering going north and through Brazil because we absolutely loved the country and the mm-hmm. people, and that's when we started hearing rumors of this uh, coronavirus that it was apparently no one could so, get
1: toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, all
0: of a sudden people said, "Bring home toilet paper if you're coming home." And I thought, "What on earth is going on?" Because we were pretty out of the loop, and uh, that's when we decided, "All right, maybe it's best to head back." And uh, and we we shipped the truck home and flew on back.
2: Did you bring the toilet paper back with you?
0: We didn't. <laughs> <laughs> brought wine priorities here when <laughs> oh, well, that's in better, Argentina, yeah. <laughs> when you're in argentina and uh you know a bottle of wine that's 13 15 20 dollars here is two or three dollars there that's what you pack in the car yeah. i think that was a smart choice who needs to... toilet
1: paper
2: how long was your trip
0: uh i think we spent on the road two, two and years? a half years yeah yeah so we we uh we drove you know kind of before the trip started up into canada and cut the roof off our truck and epoxied on a pop-top, because that seemed like a good idea. <laughs> and then we came back to Arizona, uh, quit our jobs after we kind of finished building the interior of the truck out, and then continued south uh, from Arizona.
2: You said your truck. Your truck has a name, right?
0: Ah, oh, yeah, Goose. Goose.
2: I remember seeing Kelsey's face when you guys were putting your pop-top 10 up there. I don't think I've ever seen anyone so anxious, because when you make that first cut, there's no going back.
1: It was a big deal and it was January. So, you know, you read the instructions on the epoxy that we're putting the top on with, and it's like, you know, do it in this temperature and wait for this long. And we're like, we're doing none of these things.
0: 73 degrees. (laughs) We're in uh, Banff, Canmore, essentially, Canada, uh, in January, and we're trying to do all this over a three day weekend. I was still working. So
1: I'm like taking conference calls in the car on the way there, (laughs) like, you know, trying to fit this road trip in and yep. we worked all night to put it on. Mm-hmm. And then in the morning after maybe an hour of trying to sleep, which I didn't really sleep because I was anxious about the drive all the way back home and the weather and all of that. So
0: we got a jug of coffee and then we headed south. It was
1: smartest idea. No, I
0: think we, we often say, I think that trip up there to put the top pop top on on a three day weekend, uh, you know, it was like 25 hours of driving each way. And then we had 18 hours to cut the top and put it on and epoxy it and then leave. Uh, and the some of the interior, too, we put in. Um, I think that was more dangerous than the whole Pan-American yeah, trip. Yeah, <laughs> I had never
1: experienced the cold like that either. I mean, like windshield wiper fluid was freezing because we didn't realize, oh, you can't just have regular windshield wiper yeah. fluid. And yeah, we, it was cold. A couple of really
0: Southwesterners <laughs> uh, where they don't belong. <laughs>
2: yeah. And you have another vehicle that makes me completely jealous. Tell us about Tonto.
0: Uh, yeah. Tonto's great. Uh, we, you know, I'd always wanted an FJ40 and I kind of gave up because they become these collector trucks and they're all getting redone. And then a friend who's a sort of legendary Toyota mechanic goes, Tim, I think I found your truck. It's out in the desert, like 200 miles from Phoenix and it's probably got something living in it, but it's a great truck. I rebuilt it like 15 years ago and the guy really hasn't driven it, but it's sitting out in the desert in the sun. And he's so like, it is, it
1: is rough. It's not pretty. So yeah. we were preparing ourselves for rough.
0: Yeah. And so it is is rough, but we got down there and uh, needed a jump start, and it just purred. And then we went for a little test drive out in this guy's ranch. I've still never met the the person who sold it to us. It was all over the phone and he lives back east now. So this truck's just sitting out there somewhat rotten away. And we drive up and down the dirt landing strip on his ranch. And there's little baby mice falling out of the dash as we're test driving it. And now I'm thinking, well, there's mice or there's snakes in it too, you know. So uh, we evicted all the mice and put a lot of cleaning hours in. And uh, yeah, still to this day, it runs like a top. We rebuilt the axles ourselves and, and put a little nicer suspension on it. But essentially, it's that rusty old 76 FJ40. Just a little tractor. Yeah, it's a tractor. And, and, and then even during the trip, we'd fly home, we'd turn the key, and he would start. Amazing. Not even a jump start. He would just start up first time. And we did that. That was two years in a row. Yeah. We came back and I was just amazed the little fella. Like, <laughs> he's our, <laughs> our buddy. <little> buddy.
2: <laughs> the 40 is just classic. There's no other vehicle that looks like that. Now, we all know that land cruisers don't get stuck easily. But what do a couple of knowledgeable and experienced overlanders like you guys carry as recovery gear whenever you're on a trip like the Pan American when you don't really know what kind of situations you're going to be facing?
0: Yeah, it was sort of tough to decide because we have a lot of the super technical gear to do the fancy stuff. If you're rock crawling or we're teaching a class somewhere here in the States, you bring a lot of toys because you're trying to show what you can do in the most extreme sort of scenario. But on the trip, it's your home and you're very far from home. So we we didn't plan to go as gnarly on the trails we were going to do, but you still got to bring some gear. So we we had all the winching gear. We had one pulley block. Actually, we had two, I think. (laughs) We finally gave one away to someone, but because two is a bit excessive to carry, but we had one, one block, you know, our shovel was definitely the number one most used item uh, for whatever reason, little, a little bit stuck helping somebody else out. We, we did bring a flat strap as well. Just, I'd say our number one thing we did in recovery Mm -hmm. sense is tow uh, like little commuter cars that were stuck in the mud, in the jungles of Central America, in the sand in In Brock the big sand dunes where they raced the car in South America you'd see people in the most inappropriate car in the middle of nowhere, but they were getting it done. Right. And so we often were towing people out. Um, we had to tow a couple of big commercial trucks out. And so, you know, that was our, that was our main recovery gear. We did have max tracks with us as well. And we used it mostly for friends, you know, who were in a two wheel drive van. That was the easiest solution. Uh, but, you know, we, we ended up using them once in uh, Brazil and the mm-hmm. Pantanal. And, you know, we had uh, a, a slick muddy road and on either side were uh, Cayman. Uh, alligators and so we didn't want to slide into that and we were so we got the max tracks out and i don't know so every every tool we found a use for but i also think in the end we probably could have done it without some of it we just would have chosen our campsites and our trails differently we wouldn't have gone deep into the muddy jungle without a winch to you know sort of make that slow progress out of a bog when we needed to
1: yeah um, i think we you know every trip is different like if we're in the fj40 we look at things a lot differently depending on what gear we have but making those choices of like, how far into this do I want to get myself? What gear do I have to get myself out if I do get myself into this? And so depending on what we have with us, we kind of make those calls of how far do we want to go? How stuck do we want to get if we do get stuck? Uh, Because do we have the tools to get ourselves out? Yep.
2: From the videos I've seen on your YouTube channel, nicely done, by the way, you guys got off the beaten path quite a bit exploring some amazing campsites on beaches and then some rivers and via some fairly challenging trails. Did you ever get seriously stuck along the way?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So
0: we had a few camps we went into knowing, okay, if this rains or if anything happens, that hill is going to be very tough. But our goal for the trip was to go places that weren't marked. You know, there's a lot of great apps that help you for a trip like this, but our goal was not to use them or to purposely find spots that weren't on there, right? Just so that our trip was our own and was unique. And so you could find a good beach campsite, but there might be two or three trucks there and we wanted to go further. So yeah, we, we would go deeper into the jungle and deeper into the sand dunes and sometimes we would get stuck. I think the, probably the worst was uh, there was a, a mountain we were trying to get up the side of and it was a, a local in, uh in Guatemala that was trying to get up this mountain and show us these cabins at the top. And didn't really know what he was doing. And so we ended up kind of all day and all night winching up the side of this mountain, towing two other trucks because he brought two trucks. And at the end of the night, uh, both of his trucks were off in the jungle. So then the next day we ended up recovering those trucks with pulleys. And uh, it was it was just a, it was a, a bit of a mess. And in the end, it was still kind of fun. But it was one of those that um, we would have probably pulled the ripcord and bailed out of sooner, just going, eh, we don't want to hurt our home. But when you have a big group like that and you have people ahead of the trail, some back, some people hiking up the mountain, you know, we knew we needed to get us and all those people supplies to the top so they'd have warm clothes and food for the night. And so it kind of became a we have to get this done thing. And so that was probably our most epic, uh, just hours and hours of winching. Uh, uh, Kelsey had decided she wanted to do the rigging of the winch, winch lines and have me behind the, the wheel because it was sort of a – Uh, a tough driving situation and she knew I had a little more experience at that. So she re-rigged our winch line, you know, walking into the, the jungle, and you know everything in the jungle's got a thorn on it, so her jacket looked <laughs> like a shredded uh, paper mache. Muddy and bug
1: bitten, and yeah, and bugs
0: and, and mud and all that. And it was just hours and hours, and you're drenched in sweat because it's so humid. She re rigged that winch line; it must have been oh, well over a hundred times. Oh yeah, not not exaggerating.
1: That was a full body workout. <laughs>
0: it was, and so that was probably our most epic, using every toy in the toolbox, and still wishing you had more manpower and more everything. But uh, you know, in the end, it was just methodical, and it was like sort of like one of our classes, but it just went on and on and on yeah. into the night. In I think I think a
1: huge asset and key for us is that we both have the training and the knowledge. So working as a team in those situations is, it just, you fit like a puzzle, you know, like if he's in the driver's seat and I'm outside, I know what he's doing. I know what I need to be doing and we could swap and, you know, it we fit in both situations and know what the other one should be doing. And, yeah. um, and that's really, really been... I think a key to us getting out of all the situations that we've been stuck in yeah. is just being able to work as a team and competently.
0: Yeah, we can absolutely do tougher th- tougher trails and situations together than than we could alone. And and I think that's sometimes uh if one person has the off-road knowledge and the other doesn't, you're missing out on a great yeah. asset there, I think.
1: And I think that's key too, you know, you can take all the gear you want with you, but if you don't know how to use it, how to use it safely and well, it's not really a tool for you. I mean, you can have a winch but not know how to use it properly or safely and it's, it's really not a tool for you then. It's probably more dangerous than helpful to you. Um, so I would say the knowledge and the training uh, to know how to use the tools that you have is really a key.
2: Mm-hmm. You guys teach driving and recovery skills at a lot of the overland events. At some of your venues, you even build driving courses with all kinds of obstacles to go along with your instructional sessions. So folks can get a real hands-on feel on how their vehicle handles in different situations. That has to be a lot of fun. It,
1: it is. is, yeah. It's yeah. really cool. It's fun to meet people, and uh, we've had people that have taken our classes and learned all about this from knowing nothing, and they've gone on their you know trips and some w- some really of which we've run into yeah. while we
0: we're traveling. You know, we we're down in South America, and a person that I taught, he's from Poland but lives in Canada, and we ran into him. Uh, traveling in South America and he had taken a class probably four or five years ago and then was out doing it. And it was so cool to see that person go from, I have no, I've never been off road. I've never put anything in a four wheel drive and they're taking a class on driving, winching, self-recovery. And And
1: now we're having a
0: beer, you know, down in, uh, I think it was what maybe we first ran into him in Chile or in Argentina. And you're like, Hey, here we are. You're doing it. We're actually doing it. This is great. So yeah, the teaching classes has been cool. It's one of those things that I think it was like 2008. Uh, I sort of got roped into it by a friend named Graham Jackson, who is one of the guys that started 7P, which is a training organization, and then started teaching when the first Overland Expo happened and just kept doing it from there. And then uh, the Overland rallies and know, all these different events. And another friend has a military training company where we get to teach special operations. And it's it's really a lot of fun uh, to be able to show people something you're passionate about and help them go out and do it themselves
2: tim kelsey you guys have great stories But we're going to stop for just a moment and tell our listeners about a super discount
3: from gaia gps just for our off-road podcast listeners with gaia gps you can download huge portions of maps to use offline no more trying to download tiny sections of your trail our flagship map, Gaia Topo, has been optimized for tiny and fast downloads. You can quickly download an entire national park or even your whole state in one big map to use offline. Gaia GPS does it all. And right now, podcast listeners can get a special discount on Gaia GPS. Get 20% off for a total yearly price of just $32. Head on over to GaiaGPS.com slash offroadpodcast.
2: Welcome back, let's press on with our conversation with two really interesting and accomplished overlanders, Tim and Kelsey of Dirt Sunrise Adventures. So for someone just starting out overlanding or off-roading, what should they prioritize when it comes to learning skills or acquiring gear for hopefully not getting themselves in a sticky situation?
0: I think a little bit of gear goes a long way. I think that the skills and the knowledge are really where you wanna focus your, your efforts. Um, my favorite piece of recovery gear is a shovel and it always has been and always will be, I assume, but it's, it, most situations can be solved by some manual labor and a shovel and all the fancy gear is great, but if you don't know how to use it or little tricks on how to use it a little better than, than maybe the average person, um, it's not all that useful and some of it can be really dangerous. So for me, I, I feel like the priority is always on the skills and I don't think you need to get too advanced because, in in the classes, we always get people taking the advanced recovery, advanced rigging. You know, advanced sounds cooler. It sounds like it's going to be more fun, and they are fun. But we're doing scenarios that if you got yourself into, you know, things have gone sideways 10 steps before you're rolling back onto their tires, two different trucks or something like that, right? So for for us, I really think that we try to steer people towards basic classes. And they're not really basic. They're actually 80 to 90 or more percent of what you'll ever run into doing the Pan American, going through Africa, you know, driving around the world off road. Uh, those basic classes are actually what you're going to need and use. And the advanced rigging, a lot of times you'll look at it and go, do we even have enough gear to do this in four different trucks if we combined all of it? And most people wouldn't. So it's really neat. And it's, uh, it's, it's great to see that high level stuff. And it could be fun. But I always try to steer people towards, you know, you you know, learning how to plug tires, learning how to use a shovel to get your your truck unstuck, getting your jack underneath it so you can lift it up if it's if it's sort of bottomed out on things and build up a new road so your tires have something to go on.
1: I think even just understanding how your vehicle works, you'd be surprised how many people, you know, they jump to winching, but they don't understand what a locker does or exactly how four wheel drive works. And You know, they assume when you're on dirt, oh, yeah, you put it in four wheel drive. But what is it actually doing? So so learning the basics so that you can understand either what's not working or what should be working a certain way. I think that's a really basic skill Mm -hmm. as well that I find uh, fun to teach people.
0: Yeah. And I think everyone's always learning. That's the key. I've never taught a class where I didn't learn something somehow. Either I tried something a little bit different or another instructor or student had a suggestion or said, hey, I once tried this. I mean, you're always learning. It's, it's, you you can't get, there is no top of the mountain. You're always going to be learning. And um, so, yeah, I think being open-minded about it too is is a good thing.
2: Yeah. My truck has taught me a lot about how to drive. I mean, if you listen to your vehicle and you learn how to use the different modes, you know, like I said, lockers, airing down your tires and understanding what that does for you. And as you said, being able to plug a tire, if you get a flat out there having been stuck myself a few times, it's always sort of amps everything up. I mean, everything was going great. Now you're not moving forward. You're worried about your vehicle getting damaged and everybody wants to help. It can quickly just kind of become a disorganized mess. How do you combat that?
0: It's tough. I Mm -hmm. I think the the, the most resounding suggestion or or course of action I've ever heard comes from a guy named Duncan Barber, who's a great trainer and a, a good friend and uh, he's Scottish, and he says, put the kettle on. Well, he doesn't say it like that, but he says it in almost- <laughs> A very discussion.
1: thick <laughs> accent.
0: <laughs> yeah, once you've, once you've been around him and the, the trainers from Wales, you translate for the other people who are in the class. But, <laughs> uh, but, but basically, the idea is cool your heels, you know what I mean? They'll literally put the kettle on, time to make some tea, talk about what we're going to do. Then all the people that want to give suggestions can. And maybe the people with a little more knowledge can say, that is a great idea, but I think this might be less strain on our equipment or this might be a good first thing to try that's a little bit easier or a little bit less effort. And then from that, you'll usually find find a path. And sometimes you need to let people do it their way uh, and try and keep it safe, but maybe then show them, okay, you know, I didn't think that was gonna work, let's try B. And, and so I think that slowing down is important. And as much as I know it's a rule, like you said, it's so tough in the moment. We've been in situations where you get a little stuck or you're beginning to get stuck or things are beginning to get bad. And you go, I don't have time for this, or I need to be somewhere. And you try to get out of it real fast. And that almost always makes it worse. And so you go from, that was a 30 minute fix to, I think we're looking at three hours. And so you know, it, it always seems to get worse when you rush. And so um, that slowing down is is absolutely the, the best advice I can give, even though if I, I don't always follow it 100% of the time.
2: Oh, yeah. There's a great saying that slow is smooth and smooth is fast.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Absolutely.
1: I think in those situations too, like working as a team again comes into play where, you know, there's always that situation where there's Five guys standing around, and they all want to tell the driver which way to go, and you should do this, and everyone's saying something different. And in those situations, we always know that it's it's you and I, we're we're watching each other, and that's who I, I'm listening to. If he's outside the car directing, I'm watching him. I'm not listening to all these other people. Um, so we we know going into those situations that it can be feel chaotic because everyone wants to have their opinion, and uh, but we're, you know, we're looking at each other or mm-hmm. whoever you trust in that situation.
0: Yeah. And we try to always make sure that everyone knows they have the ability to yell stop. So if something seems mm-hmm. unsafe or something's about to break or you're about to slide off or whatever, everyone has the ability to yell stop. But then this is the spotter. This is the driver and no one else really has any input in what's happening. You can yell stop or or, or I have a suggestion or something, please stop. But, but while things are moving, um, the worst thing you could have for that driver is Come forward, turn left, and someone else is saying right, right, more right, and now you have no idea what to do as as a driver. So it's really nice to set up those two control people and just say, "Look, you two are in control, and anyone, if you see anything unsafe, by all means, y'all stop, but everyone else back away." Like especially if you have a winch line, you know, you set up a safe area and say you have to be further than this back from it because if it snaps, here is the probable distance it would go. Or if there's no winch involved you still get everyone back but you know we'll use bystanders sometimes and say hey could you squat down and just watch i'm worried i'm going to hit this rock on the gas tank or the skid plate and you know my spotter and i don't have enough eyes to be looking down there so could you just look at that yell stop if it looks like we're going to hit and that person now has a task and is helping and is genuinely helping you but they're not also getting in the way they're, they're just there for that one sort of task
1: mm-hmm. and we always make sure too that you know anyone can yell stop. Are you going
0: to say the ripcord <laughs> no, for either no, of us? No, no, as, a, no. as, a, as a couple, this is, I don't know if this is where she was going, but we both have the ability to say no. So yeah. like, and we've done this before <laughs> when we were first dating, you know, I'm the off-roader guy. So we'd go into this canyon. There was one in back country in Utah. We're on a trail that didn't have any tire tracks. So we were very alone and we knew that no one's, no one's coming down this trail to help us. And we went down into this wash and Kelsey at the top of it goes,
1: I don't think this is a good idea. Do you think we can really do that? Was,
0: and, you know, we're dating. So I was like, of course we can do this. Goose, <laughs> Goose can do this, you know. And I, I remember even in my own head going, I don't know if that was what <laughs> I really thought. But, you know, whatever. I'm an idiot. So you, you go down in it. And then sure enough, we got we, we, the little handmade bridge that had, that had you know, been down there for probably 100 years. didn't look that good anyways. And it gave way on the side. And then we slid off the side, and the truck was sort of teetering on the edge. And now we've got hours and hours of work. The clouds are in the sky, and if it starts raining, we're in a wash, right? In rural middle of nowhere. At least I don't know three or four hours of driving from pavement, Utah. And it was just, oh, it was a calamity of errors, like you said. It was the time to slow down and think about it, or let her pull the ripcord. So from that instance on, we got out of it. Took us hours. Was exhausting. But once we got out of that, it was like okay forever we both have that ability to pull the ripcord if one of us is uncomfortable with something and it could be something as simple as walking through a market in in some country that we're in and somebody we one of us feels like someone's following us or maybe has a bad feeling and says i'm pulling the ripcord like let's go to the truck and we don't use that often because you want the other person to believe you and 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 do (laughs) do stop doing what you're doing when they ask and so we do that for off-roading we do that for any situation where use it sparingly, but both of you have the ability to say, no, I don't want to do that hill climb or no, I, that side hill is too tippy. And then at least that prompts a conversation. So if I know we're going to be within a percentage, I can plead my case, but at least we both have the ability. So neither one of us feels like they're not in control and they're just along for the ride.
1: Yeah. I think oftentimes, especially if it's a, a couple going and generally the the woman will have less experience off-road and, and relies on her partner to make those decisions like that and doesn't have the knowledge to go, yeah, no, this isn't a good idea or uh, feels trapped, I guess, you know, if you don't know how to drive out of there, if you don't know how to use the recovery gear, you you start start to feel like you're a prisoner. <laughs> Anxious, this, I'm sure. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so I realized as I teach some of these women's classes, which I really enjoy, but that just having that knowledge, even if you're not the one, maybe who likes to drive. Tim likes to drive a lot more than I do, so he drives most of the time. But we're we're interchangeable. We have that knowledge, so if something were to happen to him, I feel completely confident that I can take over and take care of this. And I think that's a huge thing that I see um, a gap in knowledge in uh, in generally the women, but you know, the person who's maybe less interested in what you're doing. But I think it's still important to have that knowledge.
2: Definitely. When out with a group like that, if I'm the one that, you know, organized the trip, I want to make sure that there are other people that know exactly what we're going to be doing. So if I go down, you know, they can take over and get me out and, you know, keep everybody else safe and okay. So what's been in your guys' expansive experience off-roading the most difficult recovery situation that you've been in?
1: Mm, Probably that long day.
0: Yeah, I think during the last couple of years, it was probably that long day. We did have one where we actually were visiting home and uh, we went up to teach at the Overland Rallies and we got right about halfway into the Whipsaw Trail, which is not a super hard trail, but when you have a, let's see, I don't know how, what it weighs. Let's just say <laughs> a very heavy Land Rover Discovery with a diesel engine that's now a brick and, uh, the engine, uh, I think it was the timing belt on it that went. And so it, it cannot help in any way. There is no power steering. There is no power brakes. And so you essentially have this brick that somebody needs to manhandle and you need a winch and tow it out of there. And you're right in the middle of the trail. So we had to make our decision on which way to go. We put the kettle on, you know, we all sat around. Thankfully it was like six instructors. So we had, um, people from 7p we had former camel trophy guys we had uh, Overlanding bc a training company that's up in canada all these people there and so what was funny is we had all this great knowledge but we also had a lot of strong opinions we're <laughs> like okay so we're all sure that we're right but none of us agree on how to get this out of here and so we just had to figure it out you know we tried one way at first okay we could winch up all the hills but that's kind of slow let's do Two, two trucks um, tied together, towing the third, you know, dead truck. And then on the really rough hills or more rock crawling, you know, scenarios, we'll put those trucks at the top of the hill and we'll winch it up and we'll use a pulley if there's trees in the way. So we kind of did a combination of all of the above. And it was a long two days. So it was it was going to be a three day trip on the trail. You know, relaxing and hanging out. (laughs) But it turned into, you know, uh, a half day of of easy wheeling and cruising along and then a couple days of everyone working together. But it ends up being fun once you realize we actually are going to get this out of here. We do have the skills. Um,
1: everyone's working together and you feel like you've accomplished something as a team, which is, it's a good feeling. I felt like I was driving, I was in the lead car and I felt like I was driving a semi truck, you know, taking the corners as wide as I could and all of that to try (laughs) and get the other two trucks to have room.
0: Yeah. With everything tied together, of course, you know, if that middle truck is out of, out of the sort of the shape of a line, the tow straps will pull it back together. So with Kelsey in the front vehicle, the dead vehicle, the third, and then you had a secondary towing vehicle in the middle. If, if any three of those didn't weren't on the line, it would snap that center truck into a line. So, you know, it was it was interesting and very difficult to try and always keep things correct where there wasn't danger. You're not going to then, you know, hurt or flip another vehicle while you're doing it. So it was it was exciting and sort of fun only because we had all these people and all the skills to get it through. Uh, but that was definitely a long couple of days. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I was driving the uh, the dead vehicle for a while and. You know, you're you're basically doing deadlifts on the brake pedal. You know, I, I wasn't sure if I bent uh, Jim's steering wheel on his Discovery because <laughs> you're trying to push so hard on the brake and and not hit the tow vehicle in front of him. So yeah. that was an exciting one that definitely uh, was was actually fun. I wouldn't choose to do it in the time of year where there's a thousand giant mosquitoes uh, in in British Columbia, but other than that, anytime.
1: Yeah,
2: you know it. It isn't always about getting stuck in the mud or high-centered on rocks. I mean, my wife and I were in the Canyonlands, the dollhouse area, and, you know, that's at the end of a pretty rough and rocky trail, obviously very remote. And if you get stuck back there, I mean, there's only one outfit that'll even come out and get you, and that starts at about $8,000 for them to pull you out of there. So you never know what's going to happen whenever you go out there. And if you do have something that goes wrong, you need to get a little bit creative. And as you say, stopping and thinking your way through the situations are You know, putting the kettle on, as you call it, thinking about this thing and finding a solution and getting yourself out of there.
0: And there's usually somebody around to help you out. And if there's not, I think I think we always try and plan that we're going to be still for a lot longer than we plan to. So if we're going out for five days, or you know, what's really tough is when you're just on the road for years and then you you go, okay, but how long until we plan to be in a town? Okay, we're going to do a full week. In sort of a remote area like like uh up in the maize district or, or something like that but down in argentina and we'd better have enough food to sit waiting around and water for two weeks because like like you like you said if you weren't there and there's nobody to help then you're sitting tight until you can get word out via gps or something else um to, to find some help mm-hmm. yeah yeah
2: so, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, in these days, you know, it's it's so nice that we have this technology. Uh, it's both nice and maybe somewhat frustrating that there's so much cell signal. It's harder to get away. You have to have the self-discipline to shut your own phone off for yourself. But it's really nice with the, 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 the cell phone boosters, signal boosters, and the GPS that can actually send specific messages. So you can say to people, you know, I I need medical help immediately. This is, is an emergency or no, I just need a fan belt. You know, here's the part number. I I can read it off to you, or here's the year, model, make, or here's my VIN. Send that to a friend and say any auto parts store. Because that that ability to ask for help, but even more so specific help. I think you know, like you said, you always want to be able to self recover, get yourself out. But it is really nice to know that sort of at that last line of communications after you've tried cell, you've tried ham radios, whatever you've got at your uh, disposal you've, you've waited maybe for somebody to come along the road, uh, that ability to reach out via satellite Mm -hmm. pretty reliably and get some sort of specific help is, is amazing. And so to me, these layers uh, are really important to feeling like you can go out and do all these things. You don't need all the gear in the store, but having a, okay, if this doesn't work, what would I do? And having something there next. Okay. If that doesn't work, what would I do? And just go down the list, to something fairly definitive for us like uh, the GPS messengers are really nice because at the end of the day you go, okay, that's our end all be all. You know, we got the water, the food, the Mm -hmm. knowledge, the the skills, we prepped the truck, we've done all the things, not so much, you know, we spent our money on reliability, not so much on looks or off-road capability. You know, at the, at the very end, at least we have that. That's our final, um, you know, safety, (laughs) safety pin.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about gear. So we said early on that a shovel is a really good idea, and especially where I live here in the Southwest. A lot of times that'll get you out of most of the situations. What's your thought about winches?
0: You know, we, because we travel solo, we like winches. I have friends who do not like them, wouldn't put it on their truck, don't need the weight. Because let's be honest, if you're you're not off-roading a lot, And it depends on the type of off-roading too. Mostly, you've just got yourself a 100 or 200 pound, depending with all the accessories, boat anchor that you're going to haul around, giving you worse miles per gallon, on a heavier truck, you know, and it's very expensive. For us on the trip, there were so many times that we were stuck in the mud in the jungle or we were down a road and we had to get back up. It was like a dead end road, but we found a good camp down there. Uh, some of these we took because we knew we had the winch, but we winched quite a bit. Um, I would say there was a few miles of the trip by the time it was all said and done that were done on the winch. So for us, Mm -hmm. we do like it. It's a pretty reliable, pretty, pretty good thing to have. I think Um, most
1: situations we, it would take a lot, a lot longer uh, without a winch, but most of them, we're still doable. Yeah. We still could have done them, but like Tim said, we chose, you know, maybe to do something a little bit. Uh, less smart because we had that tool at our hands, but no, I wouldn't
0: say less. Smart. Maybe <laughs> slightly risk riskier, <laughs> yeah. a little bit more remote, you know. But that was that was yeah. for us one of the the best parts of the trip is you know seeing seeing the pyramids of Tikal, You know is great with all the tourists and the tour buses, and then going a day or two deeper into the jungle where the ruins don't even have. Names. I'm sure they have some sort of name an archaeologist given them, but they're just out there and you can go see ones that have been untouched completely or ones that have just been cleared off, but you know no one has really done anything else to. Or you can see ones that have a hole bored <laughs> in the side robbed, of it that yeah. grave robbers have, have robbed. Right? <laughs> you know, and if you have those skills, you go, look, it's a risk, but we're going to take it. We've decided that at least once we're going to keep going deeper into the jungle until we get stuck that first time and then it might be a might be an hour or an all day recovery but once we once we get unstuck we're heading back towards civilization but until we get that deep or that in uh, that in that far mm-hmm. we have the skills and the tools so it, it all depends on what you want to bring uh, i do i do like winches and we're mm-hmm. going to put one on our on our newest truck that we just got because it's one of those things that's come in handy for us so often but but like Kelsey said i think we would have used mac tracks a whole lot more if we didn't have the winch or whatever mm-hmm. type of traction aid and we probably would have carried four instead of just two. So you can always you can always find a way to to have the things you need. I
1: think. Yeah, and then I think you know if you if you throw a winch into your setup, uh, again the knowledge to know how to use it, and then also um, I think it's really important to have good gear. Uh, so once you have that knowledge, having like rated gear, Factor Fifty Five has really good gear. Yeah. It's expensive, but um, I think in some places it's worth spending the money that you know everyone wants to sell you something. Yep. Um, but in the end, I think having a quality gear, because when you need it, you're really going to need it and you want it to be safe, um, is a big deal for me.
2: So you don't want to go to the hardware store for your shackles?
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, we have found just since we've been home, we found three shackles on the trail because people leave them on their bumpers. And then, of course, the pin rattles out. So yeah. I wouldn't recommend doing that unless you safety wire it. Uh, but and I I wouldn't even recommend safety wiring them on because then you hear them jingling around and you can't hear when something important's coming loose in your suspension. So I like keeping the truck real quiet and listening for those problems mm-hmm. before they happen. But yeah, I agree. The stuff from a Harbor Freight or wherever it probably will work. Uh, it'll probably work ninety nine times. It'll probably work a thousand times. But uh, when it comes to that stuff and life's on the line, especially for us because we're teaching it, it's not a spot where we. Uh, try and save some money because it's our life you know we're full-time in the truck and full-time exploring and so there's no there's no reason to use less than the best gear we can get our hands on um, and certainly you know you can still use wire rope and there's situations where it works better than synthetic um, mm. but you know for us we choose synthetic for a whole host of reasons but I think it, it is one of the situations where you don't have to buy all the expensive gear I think you have to know though how often am I going to use this? And if I didn't buy the nice gear and let's say it is the, the Harbor Freight bow shackle or some other gear that doesn't have ratings on it. There's big off-road companies that sell gear with no, no, no working load limit. No, um you know, no, no, no ratings whatsoever on the gear. So keep in mind, those people have used those for decades, but you would just kind of consider that your weak point. So you'd say, okay, I'm going to expect this to fail. I bet it won't. I bet it won't a thousand times in a row, but it's not rated. So I'm going to assume it's going to blow to pieces and I need a plan for that. And if you plan for it, then if it does, you're already safe. You already had people where they needed to be. You already had, you know, a damper on the line, whatever you need to do. So you don't have to have the fancy gear. For us, it's easier to get all the nicer gear and have everything that's rated. So we know where the weak points are.
2: Yeah, I probably use my winch more to clear fallen trees off the trail than to get myself unstuck. stuck. But I probably wouldn't leave home, uh, especially here in the Southwest, without my traction boards.
1: Yeah, I think Max Trax yeah. is another one that we've done quite a bit of testing uh, and used them a lot in our trainings and stuff. And Max Trax is one that, I think is worth uh, spending the money on. You know, the, yeah. they have the off-brand whatever's that you can get on Amazon or something. And we've definitely seen a big difference in quality with going with the name brand of Maxtrax.
0: Yeah, I think there's other high-end brands. So, yeah. so I'm not trying to do a sales pitch no, for no, them. No. I would say we just have had some ones given to us at Overland Expo and they sit out in the sun a lot and they get used a lot. And a lot of the cheaper plastics, like you expect with a a cheap plastic, they dry rot in the sun. And then the first truck that pulls onto it after the second year of us having them at Expo, it shatters beneath the tires of it instantly. And you go, well, okay, that thing worked great last year, but it's dried out in the sort of Arizona sun. So Mm -hmm. um, I do think whatever you get uh, when it comes to plastic gear, get high quality. It's the difference between the gas can you get down at the local gas station and like Scepter cans, which you can't get in the United States anymore, the, the fuel cans, but You know, my military fuel cans from Scepter, I think the oldest one I have is 14 years old and it's never leaked a drop. So uh, good plastic is really, really different than cheap plastic.
1: And then I'd say like uh, another key tool that we carry with us is a way to air down. And then if you're airing down, a way to air up. But, you (laughs) know, that's that's one that we use quite often for Mm -hmm. comfort, for, you know, getting out of uh, sticky situations uh, would be one that I would recommend. And then probably a tire repair kit is another really, really helpful. Yeah,
0: one. Not exactly t- a recovery gear, but that, yeah. that tire plug kit. Um, we teach a class where you suture the sidewall and you pull it off the bead and it's all very cool and uh, interesting. But in reality, mm-hmm. uh, almost, almost everything I've ever had go wrong with tires could be plugged, even if it ends up being five or six plugs stacked on top of each other, uh, which wouldn't be safe for highway use of any kind. But you know, holds enough air in to get you 10 miles down the road and then you put a little more air in and then 10 more miles and a little more air. So um, yeah, I think a tire plug kit is one of those things that if I were to literally fly into a truck somewhere, rental, let's say something like that, you know, you have a shovel, maybe a traction board, set of traction boards, a tire plug kit, and one of those little uh, lithium jump starts, you know, so, so if the battery does go, you have some way to get it started again.
2: So you hinted a bit earlier that there's maybe a new vehicle in your future?
0: Oh Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I will say since about 2011, Kelsey found that uh, in my Google photo account, I'd already been saving photos that far back. For me, I really do like the 80 series. I don't think it's, you know, measurably, it's still a 30 year old truck. And so you have to deal with that. But if you're up for dealing with older trucks, I really do like that setup, that chassis. I feel like it's very overbuilt and I know it. So it's kind of a, you know, you go with what you know. If you've had CJ7s your whole life, it's going to be really hard to go and get a brand new Jeep JL, right? Because you know the other ones so well, that's going to help you out in situations. So I know the 80 series. So I've always dreamt of having a box on the back of an 80 series. So you have a little little bit more living space. Yeah and Mm -hmm. a pop top so you have a bed up top and uh so finally after looking for something like that for almost a decade yeah we found ourselves a a 80 series diesel uh german german spec uh, manual transmission uh 80 series from 1990 with a composite box on the back so we have all the space now to live in it and you know all the conveniences now that we never had in goose And it weighs less than our old truck. So it's kind of the perfect setup for us.
1: And its name is Dusty Bottoms. If you've ever seen Three Amigos, you'll you'll get the reference.
0: Yeah, And with a diesel truck, you know what we mean. It's always dusty because you have have a constant oiling system that's coating the underside of the truck with oil. Not really. It doesn't doesn't even really leak anymore. But uh, you always find a couple little things here and there. But, yeah, so that's the new truck. It's uh, built by Maltec in Germany. And it's one of these trucks that we absolutely could never afford new. So I'd been hunting for a used one um, for all this time, and we'd missed a couple by like a week here and there. We were going to fly to Germany once. We were going to when we were in Argentina, there was one in Uruguay, uh, and we just never worked out. And then next thing you know, we're we're home here in the United States, uh, saving up to leave for the next leg of the trip, and we find one in Austin, Texas. So we road tripped out and picked it up.
2: That's awesome. So, what's next for Dirt Sunrise?
1: We'll see. The world is, is an interesting <laughs> place right now, but we'd, we'd love to uh, head to like Mongolia and the stands, I think, is, is yeah, pretty exciting high priority. to us. Yeah.
0: But, you know, Africa is always on everyone's yeah. list. Uh, we were going to head to Australia right after getting home. We were going to work for a little bit, head to Australia and maybe buy a truck there and outfit it while we traveled around. But, you know, COVID happened. And so we've we spent the the last year just trying to work as much as humanly possible. Now also to pay for the new truck and outfit it and get it ready to go. So right now it's it's sort of a saving mode and working every minute we can. Mm-hmm. And then, you yeah, know, we're not sure where we're going to head next. And if we can't go anywhere. The U.S. Then, is um, a great
1: place to be stuck. There's a lot to explore here. So
0: yeah. You know, and I haven't done much in Alaska, Alaska yeah. besides a fishing trip. And so we could head up into Alaska and do the northern end of the Pan-American. Uh, We're looking at doing some motorcycle trips uh, off-road in the U.S. as well, and maybe do Transamerica Trail and
1: Route know. 66,
0: maybe? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two east-west roads, right? So you got to do one pavement and maybe dirt back the other way.
2: We
1: have so. a long list of ideas. So who knows what we'll do next?
0: Yeah. But, yeah. yeah we, we're no shortage. That's for sure. <laughs> we could sail around the world,
1: too. Yeah. It's, these
0: are all plans. It's going
2: to be interesting to see where you guys are headed off to next. You always have such great adventures.
0: <laughs> Thanks.
2: Thanks. So if people are interested in knowing more about Dirt Sunrise and you guys, where should they go?
0: I think the easiest is Mm dirtsunrise.com and that'll link you to Instagram, which will show you more current, you know, as we're, as we're working and exploring right now, you'll see daily posts on there and in the stories. But uh, the main thing we put out is the YouTube videos each week. And so we try to now for the last three years, I don't think we've missed more than one or two. Uh, We try and get a video out every (laughs) Friday. So we're editing at night uh, in the truck, but uh, that's youtube.com forward slash dirt sunrise. But Really, if you put, type in those two words, uh, you'll find us.
1: Yeah.
2: There's the one and only Dirt Sunrise, correct?
1: For now, yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Unless you, unless you talk to my brother and he's uh, he's starting a competing Dirt Sunset, so watch out for him.
2: Dirt Sunset?
0: He's joking, just <laughs> jokingly, every time he sees us, he goes, oh, so we meet again.
2: Okay, that paints a totally different picture than Dirt Sunrise. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Tim and Kelsey. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming to talk with us.
1: Yeah, thank you for having us. It was fun chatting.
2: Thanks,
0: Wade. Good hanging out.
2: Thanks, Tim and Kelsey, for joining us. We're definitely going to be watching to see what epic adventure you take on next. You can check out their amazing Pan-American trip on their YouTube channel, Dirt Sunrise Adventures. You can also follow them at Dirt Sunrise on Instagram. While you're doing that, look for our new Instagram channel, Gaia GPS Off-Road. And then stop by Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our show. Maybe even give us a five-star review as well. We'd appreciate it. It keeps us going, and we take your comments to heart. Thanks for listening in. This is Wade. See you next time.